the story of redemption. The place is Germany. The time is July 1941. In a place that has been called the slaughterhouse. We know it formally as Auschwitz. The place that has become the the location for the killing in World War II. There's no hope there. Regularly, the people there were starved. They would be given a ration of something similar to coffee, but not quite coffee, in the mornings. And then in the evening, after a long day of work, they would be given a morsel of bread and some very, very watered-down soup. And so starvation was something that they regularly flirted with. This was the life in Auschwitz for the European Jews. There was no hope there. This was the place of killing. This is the place where the smoke rose regularly and millions met their doom. The SS had a, uh, a standing order in order to discourage uh, attempts of escape. If a person escaped, the punishment for that escape would be that 10 people would be put into the starvation barrack in payment of the one life. And so there was a, a, a man there, a Catholic priest, named Maximilian Kolb, who regularly would give up his food, would... Um, Minister to the needs of the the people there who had lost their hope, who could see no hope. And and yet in that time, this man would uh, encourage them to be uh, forgiving of their captors. He spoke grace and, and truth into the lives in a place where there was no hope. And there comes a day when in his barrack, a man went missing, tried to escape. And after having trying to uh, try to uh, find this man, they, the, the SS realized that uh, he was not to be found. And uh, so then the punishment stood that for the price of one, ten would die. And so what they would do then is they would start to randomly draw out uh, names, or not names, numbers of the prisoners because they were dehumanized, they were just numbers. And so they would, and I remember so clearly Brother uh, Richard Jankov uh, at camp the one time uh, so passionately uh, expressed how this would have gone. And he would have said, um, the, the, the SS would have called out, prisoner number 13444. Come forward. Prisoner number 11684, come forward. 
And imagine yourself now being there in the presence of this group, this, this, the Nazis and, and the SS who were calling out, uh, apparently by random selection, um, people to die. And this was a gruesome death that they would be called to. And so, as a person would be called, imagine, put yourself in that position. Imagine what it would have been, uh, would have been like to hear your number called. And I don't know his number, but I know his name. And it's a Polish name, so I'm going to probably get this wrong, but his name was Franciszek. And his number was called. And he lets out a cry. Oh, I have a family. My wife. I have a family at home. What are they going to do? I, I, I can only imagine as a father and as a husband what that would have felt like to hear your number called. Your number is being called and you know that there is no mercy there. You cannot plead your case. You are called out and you are called out by a merciless Voice. And he cries out. Now, picture yourself there. There's no hope, okay? Let's, let's be really, really clear. No mercy, no hope. You are going to die. You are going to be thrown down the stairs into that barrack, the starvation barrack, and within a few days, the, the ravages of, of starvation are going to start taking hold, and it's going to be ugly. And then you hear something. There's a commotion. There's a commotion in the crowd. And prisoner 16770 steps forward. We know him as Maximilian Kolb, the Catholic priest. The Catholic priest who took his place beside the condemned. The Catholic priest who, who was uh, speaking truth into the lives of these people who had no hope. Hopefully, perhaps giving them the, the hope that even though not in this world will they have hope, but they will have hope to come. And he steps forward. And he stepped forward. And he, he comes up to the commandant and he wants to address the commandant. Now, can you imagine... What that would have been like. What would the commandant have been thinking? Who is this Polish pig coming up to me? What do you want from me? How dare you come up to me? Do you know that I could snuff your life out right now? And yet, this Maximilian comes forward. Prisoner 16770 comes forward. And what does he say? He says... I am a Catholic priest from Poland. I would like to take his place because he has a wife and children. I want to take his place. You see, if he would have just zip it, stay where you are, don't look, put your eyes down, you're, out, you're in the clear. Your number hasn't been called. And he steps up and he says, take me instead. Just imagine that. Now, more than... This was an incredible act of love and, and selflessness. And now I want you for a moment to put yourself in the place of Franciszek. 
What would he have thought? What would he have thought that this man steps forward and willingly gives his life so that I could be free? Years later, Franciszek writes this, I could only thank him with my eyes. I was stunned and could hardly grasp what was going on, the immensity of it. I, the condemned, am to live and someone else willingly and voluntarily offers his life for me, a stranger. Is this some dream? I was put back in my place without having had time to say anything to Maximilian Kolb. I was saved, and I owe to him the fact that I could tell you all this. He got it. He lived it. He understood redemption. The Apostle Paul speaks of redemption. In the book of Ephesians, he's writing to this young church, and he wants to impress upon them the glory, the beauty, the incredible nature of what redemption is. He writes to them, he says in verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Verses 7 and 8. What is Paul saying here? Paul wants this young church to grasp onto uh, uh, redemption. We know what, what is, we know from the writings of Paul what redemption is, and I'd like to look at that now. What does it mean to be redeemed? We, we speak of this word oftentimes. We've heard it oftentimes uh, uh, spoken of. But what does redemption mean? How can you and I, brother and sister, who have experienced redemption, how can we have that same appreciation that uh, Franciszek had? Have we? Or have we become, uh, in a sense, almost um, complacent to the fact? As we look at the scripture, it's, it begins and says, In whom, speaking of Christ, if we look at the verse before, it's, it ended with saying um, that he has made us accepted, accepted, or a beautiful, lovely, in the beloved, speaking of Christ, and that's how he begins this verse. He says, in whom, in Christ, um, again, this is that word uh, N, the, the Greek word N denoting position in this case. So in whom, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. So what does redemption mean? Redemption is a releasing um Affected by payment of ransom. So this is a, a Greek term or a term that would be typically used uh, when it speaks of the marketplace or uh, like the slave trade, for instance. So a release would be a slave who would be purchased for a price, a liberation that is procured. So the redemption in its simplest form means uh, a release, a payment Redemption through his blood. We have the release, we have the payment, and the payment is the blood of Christ through his blood. So I want to just dwell on redemption for a moment, if we can, because this is uh, a central theme in the scriptures. 
If we look back throughout the scriptures, we see from almost the very, very beginning the theme of redemption being borne out in one way or another. Let's quickly consider Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it talks about how God um, made for Adam and Eve garments of skin. Now, let's backtrack a little moment here, because what had happened to Adam and Eve that they needed garments of skin? You see, Adam and Eve, when they were created, uh, they lived in the garden, and there was no shame there. There was nothing in them that would make them look at themselves and say, I am ashamed. And so they lived this life in communion with God, in the presence of God, until sin came into the world, until they rejected uh, the words of God and instead looked to perhaps make themselves better by eating the fruit. It was pleasing to the eye to make them wise. And so the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life came in. And they then sinned by disobeying God. And there came a time when God came into or or, or approached them in the cool of the morning, it says, and he calls out to them, and they hid themselves because they were naked and they were ashamed. The result of the fall, the very immediate result of the fall was their eyes were opened and they saw their inadequacy. They saw their their shame, the guilt. The Spirit worked in their lives and produced a guilt in them. They were aware of the, the sin and the consequence of their sin and they were ashamed. And so their nakedness was to them a source of shame. They became ashamed of who they were. They became ashamed of who, what they had done. And that was all, they, they'd hid themselves because that was symbolized in their nakedness. And God, in his redemptive purposes, says, I'm going to cover your sin. I'm going to cover your shame. I'm going to cover your nakedness. And so it says in verse 21 that he made garments for them out of skins. Now, this is the first example that we have of a death that had to be affected because of sin. In order for them to have garments of skin, an animal had to die. Perhaps it was a lamb. The lamb had to die so that they would have then the garments to cover their sin. The first example that we have of the theme of redemption in the scriptures If we look a little further in Genesis, Genesis chapter 22, we can see the example of Abraham and Isaac. Now this is a heart-wrenching story that speaks of redemption. So Abraham is being tested, and God says, Abraham, I want you to offer to me your son Isaac. And so uh, Abraham, in this incredible faith, not perhaps understanding and grasping everything that's happening. You know, maybe it was confusing to him, but he trusted. He trusted that God knew exactly what he was doing and that if God had asked him to do it, then that it would be the right thing to do. And so what Abraham did was he he packs up uh, his uh, son and his servants and they, they gather the, the gear together and they, they express that we're going to go and we're going to sacrifice unto the Lord. And so as they're traveling, eventually they, they drop the servants off and they tell them to wait here. We're coming back. And Abraham and Isaac continue on. And at a, a very painful moment, um, uh, Isaac asks his father and he says, uh, here's, the, here's the, the wood and the fire, but where's the sacrifice? 
We have everything we need here to sacrifice, but we don't have the sacrifice. And in, I can only imagine it must have been such a heart-wrenching and a painful moment. Abraham said to him, God will provide a lamb. Can you imagine, fathers, can you imagine what that would have been like? Not to, to wrap your heads around it, first of all, but then to even imagine going through the motions of, and we see that Abraham had to take Isaac and bind him up, and, and they made the altar, and he laid him on the altar, and in obedience to, to the, the God who he loved, he was raising the knife. In such dramatic fashion, he's raising the knife to plunge it into his son Isaac to, in obedience to God, to sacrifice his most precious Isaac to God. And God stops him and he says, I will provide a lamb. And, and, and he provides in the immediate, right here and now, he provides the, the ram in the thicket. And, and so Isaac is released from this, this, uh, this bondage. And God provides in the immediate, right here and right now, he provided a ram in the thicket. But brothers and sisters, that wasn't the whole point of it. This was a foreshadowing. This theme of redemption was rolling out because God knew that there would come a time when what he had asked Abraham to do, he himself would do. And that he would he would himself put his son on the altar and that he would offer him as a sacrifice. And at that point, they called him Jehovah Jireh, God the provider. And there we have another vivid example of this theme of redemption rolling through the scriptures. We start to see the heart of God, this heart that uh, of redemption that I'm willing to pay the price. We see this also in the nation of Israel. We see this all through the, the, the book of Exodus as it chronicles the, uh, the, the escape from Egypt, the bondage of Egypt that God affects. Second Samuel says this in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 23, speaking now very specifically, tying this idea of redemption in the people of Israel. Verse 23 of Second Samuel chapter 7 says this, And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself, and to make him a name, and to do for, for you great things and terrible, for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. The idea of redemption, this setting free, this release at the price, at the cost of a, a heavy price was a rolling again through the scriptures. We see it in Adam and Eve. We see it in Abraham. We see it in the people of Israel. The redemption theme is continuing on. We also see it in Boaz and Ruth. In uh, Ruth chapter 4, we, we read the account of how Boaz, moved by compassion and, and by love, he, he goes to redeem his kin's uh, land. And, and, and by doing that, and, and it wasn't just though, and, and some may think, well, he was just doing this to get a wife. That's not the case here. Because if he hadn't done this, if he hadn't been moved by compassion and love to redeem Naomi's uh, land, their name would have gone out of existence. Their, their lineage would have stopped because there was no other uh, a, a person to, uh, to bear children to, to continue this lineage. 
And so uh, Boaz, in, in a desire to honor his kin and, and to uh, be obedient to uh, the Lord and, and to, in, in response to the love that he had for his kin, he uh, purchases, he redeems the land of his kin. And, and then he marries a Ruth. And it's by doing that that he has given Naomi and Ruth hope. Hope for right now, but hope for the future. And we know the result of this redemptive act is that through the lineage of Boaz and Ruth comes the Christ, the Messiah. Now, there's a scripture that uh, I think just fits so perfectly with uh, what we have um, been going through just in the last few days as far as the, the messages that we have heard in the last few days, the last few weeks. And it's, it's found in Galatians chapter 4. And let's look at Galatians chapter 4. And uh, you're going to see some, uh, some uh, things that are tying a lot of what we've been talking about lately together. Starting in verse 3, identifying where we started out as, in bondage, saying, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, now think about the fullness of time. Brother Devin talked about the prophecies concerning Christ, the, 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 the birth of Christ. Brother Jeremy, when he was here, he preached about um, the lineage of, of Jesus. And, and in all of this, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing there and getting this, this um, very, very clear message that the birth of Christ was not a surprise. This was something planned from the beginning, from before the foundations of the earth. Before the foundations of the world, Jesus was already, it was planned that he would come. And when the fullness of time came, that's when we hear the angels bringing these glad tidings. Singing the hymn that they perhaps have been practicing for eons. They sang the hymn of of glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to all men. And so it continues on in verse 4. And when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. So appropriate for this time of the year when we perhaps want to diminish uh, this idea of, of recognizing and commemorating and pondering on the birth of Christ. This was that, that, that moment in history when there must have been so much excitement. And we see that uh, in the, the angels. So much excitement. Oh, finally the time has come. Finally, time is full. And Jesus is coming. Why is he coming? It says in verse 5, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because we are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Father, my Father. Now, Jesus has come to redeem the world. Under bondage they lay. And he has come to redeem them, to purchase them. And that is the whole point. That is that whole redemptive theme rolling through the scriptures. And that's what Paul talks about here in Ephesians when he says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. So let's look now. at. at, I want to look at uh, uh, this uh, 
expand a little bit on, because Paul doesn't get into, you know, really dissecting this when he speaks to the Ephesian church and to the other churches um, who are hearing this, but he does expand on this very much so in uh, the letter to the Romans. And so let's look um, at this idea of redeeming by paying a ransom. Redemption comes at a cost. And the cost was a great cost, and the cost was the blood of Christ. It is through his blood that we have redemption. And it's not the blood in itself that, you know, miraculously the hemoglobin and all of the different parts and so on that effect salvation. But it is in that Christ gave his life. Blood being the seat of life in the humanity. And, and Christ willingly shed his blood. He hung himself on the cross in his willingness and gave up, let the blood flow from him, recognizing, knowing full well that it was his life that was flowing from him and that it was his life then that would be the payment, this great ransom that is paid to redeem you and I. So in Romans chapter 3, let's look at Romans chapter 3, because this is a verse that, or a chapter that really speaks to um, this idea of redemption. Let's uh, look at Romans 3, beginning at verse 23. Beginning at verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's pretty plain. There's, there's no escaping. That's just like uh, the, the prisoner who knew his name has been called. There's no hope. There's no hope. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. So Paul starts dissecting this. We are being justified freely, and we'll speak of that in just a moment, by his grace through the redemption, through this idea of, of effecting a release from bondage. Uh, Romans chapter 6 speaks a lot about this bondage, that through sin we are, are captive, we are under the dominion of sin. And so this we are given this uh, redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. So what is a propitiation? It is uh, uh, to, to give oneself to appease or to give something to appease God's wrath. God, after Christ gave himself as a sacrifice, as a propitiation, God is now disposed to be gracious or merciful. So the wrath of God, the disgust, the hatred, the abhorrence of sin and his, his utter detesting of sin and the wrath that it would, that he would want to, to pour out on this sin and, and this unholiness is assuaged. The penalty is paid. Christ is the one who by his death the law, the justice being meet out in Christ in that he gave his life, the most precious uh, life, that satisfied the wrath of God. He is no longer wrathful, no longer seeking to have um, uh, the payment of sin because it has been paid. And now... It continues to declare his righteousness 
for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So he, because of what Christ has done, God is able to declare his righteousness. You see, there would be a possibility God in his sovereignty could say, well, you know what, I'm going to... Uh, circumvent the law a little bit because the price is too high and I'm going to uh, take this law that I've instituted, this reality, this justice, and I'm going to say, eh, I'm going to change it a little bit because that price is too high. But he didn't do that. God did not withhold Christ, the most precious. He gave him freely. He gave him willingly. He provided. Jehovah Jireh says, I will provide the lamb. And he provided the lamb there on the cross. And that was what then also gives God the ability to declare his righteousness. I have not circumvented the law. Righteousness being this conformity to the law. I have perfectly fulfilled the uh, the demands of the law, nothing has been uh, short-circuited or circumvented. The full price has been paid. It says in verse 26, To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, again, re- reiterating that he is now able to say, in all righteousness, this has been fulfilled. There has been no... no um, uh, anything underhanded or or untoward that has happened, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. The price that was paid was extremely important and it was extremely uh, purposeful because God fulfilled the law through Christ. He didn't circumvent it. He didn't uh, negate it. He fulfilled it through Christ. And that then becomes the basis for which he is also able to, and this is so part and parcel of this theme of redemption, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That goes hand in hand with redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Redemption involves forgiveness of sin. Romans 3.23 makes it very plain. We have all sinned. There's nobody who uh, can say, well, I didn't really need forgiveness because I was fine. No, everybody has sinned. Um, Romans 6.23 tells us what the consequence of that sin is. The debt that is incurred is death. And, and so there is a need. There's a, a separation that happens. Our sin separates us from God. Not my parents, not my, my extended family, not my, my heritage or anything else has condemned me. It is my sin that has condemned me. All have sinned, it says, and all deserve death. And that is something that we own. There's, that's ours, okay? You can clearly say, that's mine. And you don't need to share that with everybody because everybody has their own issue. <clears throat> sin has a dominion. See, when we sin, when that Adam nature comes out in us and, and we, we choose ourselves, when we have, of our own accord sin, sin now has a rule over us. It speaks in Romans 6 about the dominion of sin, the rule of sin. We are its slave. We are indebted because we have sinned. We are basically in a debtor's prison. And forgiveness, though, is a release from that debtor's prison. And, and is it a release, um, the, the pardon of the sin 
And, and so, and now picture this. You, you stand before, uh, it, you're in debtor's prison and you have this great debt that is, um, that is owed on your account. It has to be paid. There's no, no way out of it. And somebody comes along and he says, I want to purchase that debt. I'm going to purchase that debt. And in essence, God has come and through the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, he has purchased the debt that you owe. He has purchased your debt. It's almost like somebody coming, you hold the mortgage, and so you, you are obligated to hold, to pay this mortgage, and, and so the bank holds the mortgage. Well, there is, a, it, it's known that people can come and purchase mortgages. And so somebody purchases that mortgage. Does that re, re, release you from the obligation of your mortgage? Absolutely not. You still have to pay that mortgage. But now somebody else holds the, the note, in a sense. And similarly, when, when Christ uh, uh, came and gave himself as payment, as a ransom, God has redeemed you, has taken you out of the dominion of sin, from under the slavery, the bondage of sin, and he has said, now you are mine, and you, you are my slave. But you've you got to recognize, you haven't paid your debt yet. You still owe life. You still have the wage of sin that is coming to you. And that's why this, this add-on, not this add-on, this, this extra, this, we have redemption through the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of sin, because the two go so hand in hand that you can almost not separate, because God, in His love, says, now I can forgive your sin. Because I have paid for it, and it is mine now to forgive, and there is no law that I am breaking, there is no righteousness that I am circumventing, and now I choose to forgive your sin. God chooses to forgive sin. It's his to, to, to forgive. It's his debt. He owes, owns the note. He's the one who is paid. You are in debt to him. And he says, I'm going to forgive your debt. Isn't that incredible? And how? Why would he do that? The answer is in the rest of this verse. According to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of grace. This is what makes grace so amazing. Is God who reaches out to us, who loves so radically, says, I want to forgive you. I am not okay with you being in bondage. I am not okay with you uh, having to live under the, the slavery that sin has you under. I am not willing that you should die and that you and I are separated by your sin. And so I'm going to pay for your sin and I'm going to forgive your sin. And the, the debt is canceled. So what is sin or the forgiveness is a release from bondage, the word that Paul uses here, release from bondage or prison or imprisonment. This is a, a forgiveness that, that releases us. Um, it's a pardon of our sins, letting them go as if they have never been committed. That's incredible. God is saying, and we know the scripture says that uh, uh, as far as the east is from the west, he will, he will separate us from our sins and the guilt of our sins. And so he's not this, um, this person who just kind of always has it there. You know, when he says the east and the west, infinitely that sin is separated from us. The guilt of our sin. It is as if we have never sinned. 
But we've all lived in a, in a scenario, perhaps, I, I would think many of us have experienced this in one way or another, where our sin is never that far away from us. Sure, maybe somebody's forgiven us until it becomes convenient. Until perhaps we say something that's not right. And then suddenly that sin comes roaring back and they remind us all over again. You sinned. You remember. You remember what you did to me. And so maybe they've forgiven, but they haven't cast that sin away from us. They haven't truly forgiven. Because it's always just one offense away. But not with God. Infinitely he has removed our sin. And so, think about that now, brother and sister. You and I, we, we are vile. We are vile. Our heart is desperately wicked. We're left to our own devices, we will default to sinful nature. And, and the things that we have done I have, are, are so disgusting to God. And He... In his grace, in the fullness of his grace, the immensity of his grace, the completeness of his grace, he says, I want to live in relationship with you with no inkling of your sin left between us. That is what forgiveness is. And that is according to the grace that he has, that love, that desire that he has for us to live in newness of life, freedom. That's when grace really uh, hits home. It's when we can comprehend the depravity and, and the, the wickedness and the dirtiness of who we were and how we can now stand before God as though we have never sinned. Justified. This is really important for us as believers to remember. We need to fight for that awe that we have, or the awe that we should have at thinking about redemption. We need to ask the Spirit to remind us. And if we've never truly felt like what uh, Franciszek felt, this complete, uh, almost I don't even know how to respond. I, I wish I could. I can't, I can't process what has just happened. If we've never had that, men and women, we need, to, we need to humbly come to God and ask him to speak redemption into our hearts, speak the truth of redemption into our hearts. It was so important for the, the, um, the Ephesians to hear this. Think, just let's review it here quickly. What, what uh, Paul says to the Ephesians here. The, the promises that he has given us, the spiritual blessings that he has given us in heavenly places, those that have been established in heaven that can never be taken away from us. It says what? According as he hath chosen us in him. Not because we were clean, but he's chosen us to make us clean, to wash us. He has adopt, predestined us unto the adoption of children. Now a picture the, the adoption process and, and the one who is being adopted. Do they have a choice? Do they have a say? Do they have anything that merits it? No, it's the, it's the, the one who is adopting that makes this choice. The one who makes this initiative. The one who says, I want you. I want to bring you into my family, into my relationship. I want to be your father. And here, the redemption. In whom we have redemption. God's saying, I don't want to live, you to live in, in bondage and in guilt and in shame. Instead, I'm going to take you 
I'm going to pay for you. I'm going to redeem you. Not because of anything you've done. Picture the prisoner at, at the slave market. What has he done? Nothing. And yet the, the benevolence, the love, the graciousness of, of the, the purchaser is, is being extended to them. There's many of us here who perhaps have some very mixed up ideas of, of what God is offering to mankind. Perhaps we have these ideas that, um, uh, sure, God chooses, but he chooses based upon value or based upon merit. He doesn't. He doesn't choose you because you're holy. He chooses you to make you holy. He chooses you in Christ. He adopts us in the beloved so that we can display the grace and the love that he has. He redeems us in Christ. We are redeemed. God has made the effort. God has reached out to you. We just heard uh, of the announcement of, of grace who has found peace with God and is at peace with God and, and wants to be uh, desire baptism. And, and I remember hearing her testimony and uh, she felt, she knew, she heard, she recognized that things were not right in her life. And so she recognized that this is the call of God. This is God reaching out to her and saying, I'm not okay with you being lost. I'm not okay with any person being lost. I'm not okay that my beautiful creation is going to be corrupted and defiled and, and, and be in bondage when I've made you to be free to walk with me in the cool of the garden, to have that communion with. And so God reaches out and he wants to redeem. He doesn't want to redeem based upon value or merit. He wants to redeem to make us valuable, to make us meritorious through Christ. And so I want to ask those of you who have not experienced redemption, who feel that, that you have never been chosen, have always been passed over because of who you are, for those of you who feel orphaned and who feel adrift in the world and with nobody to call your, your kin or no clan to hold on to, no, no family connection, no father to say, my father, I ask you, are you willing are you uh, uh, desiring to be uh, uh, redeemed by the, the, the Savior? Or have you, like, uh, imagine this. Imagine that the children of Israel, and, there, and there's a song from Keith Green where he almost in a sense makes fun of the Israelites because they did this. They did this where they were in the desert, even after they had been redeemed, even after they had been taken through the, 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 the water, they had seen all the plagues and the miracles of their deliverance. They then said, whoa, was there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to die? And they started to long for the leek and the onions by the Nile. Ooh, the breath, but we're, at least we're dining out in style. They totally forgot the, the cost and the bondage that they were in, and they desired that again. Could you imagine if Isaac, after having been delivered, the angel stops the knife, about to plunge into his body, and, and he says, you know, actually, I'm kind of comfortable here. I don't really need to come off of here. You know, this is a great place, a great view. You know, I can work on my tan. You know, it's okay, Dad, you can leave me here. I don't need the provisions of God. I don't need to be substituted by this ram. I don't need God to redeem me by his son. I'm okay. 
It's, it's, of course it's ridiculous. In, in those circumstances, we see the, the absolute incredible nature of, of the deliverance, the provision that God has made. And so for us to, to think, Adam and Eve, like, no, 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 that's okay. I don't need these clothes. They don't really match my color wheel sort of thing. I'm, I'm going to turn this away and, and, you know, just go on and, and, and walk around buck naked and, and not ashamed of themselves, even though they have completely thrown away the glories of being with the Father. How ridiculous would that be when they wouldn't take what God has provided? How ridiculous it would be for Isaac to climb back onto the altar. I don't need what you're giving me. And how foolish it was of the Israelites to long for what they had in Egypt. And so I I challenge you, those of you who are still standing back, maybe have heard the story of redemption, maybe have heard about the, the, the desire of God to choose and to change and transform and sanctify you, who have, who have heard of the desire of God to call you into His family in Christ. And to make you his own. To pull you up into his bosom. And to say you are mine. And you are treasured. And I will protect you. And I will, I will keep you. And you, you see all of these things. You hear all these messages. And you say, oh no thank you, I'm okay. You're an absolute fool. If that's how you live your life. Because. Remember this. You can never forget. That there is a death penalty. That has your name on it. And there is a penalty that you have incurred. Not because of anybody else. But because of yourselves. And then that wage that you have rightfully earned. Is death. And if for a moment. You think that that is an acceptable alternative. You are so completely deceived. You have taken hook, line and sinker. What this world has offered you. And you need to get into the word. And you need to see what the wrath of God. Poured out on a person looks like. You go into Revelation, and when it talks about the wine press of the wrath of God, imagine yourself. Do you want to be there? Do you want to be at that point where God, in His wisdom and in His holiness and in His justice and His mercy, looks in the book and you're not in there? Is that where you want to be? I, I pray, I beg you, in Christ's stead, that you would. Hear these words of redemption. That you would consider the redemption story. And that you would, in, in faith, as it says in, in Romans, um, it, it speaks here. And this is what I didn't address. Being justified freely, we can be justified freely, um, but through faith in his blood. Trust. Do you trust the heart of God? Do you even know the heart of God? Oh, I, I pray that, that if you desire to be right with God, that you would know Him. That you would do the work to know Him, to, to know Him more, to, to, what, who is He? What does He want from you? What, what is His desire for you? Oh, I pray that you would stop this, this treadmill of good works, and, and, and trying to make yourself right with God, and that you would simply know who He is and trust who He is. That you would dare to trust Him.
The last part of, of verse 8 says, or verse 8, we haven't looked at verse 8 at all, but it says, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And I, that first portion there, um, wherein he hath abounded towards us. The grace, speaking of the grace that he is, is that word abounded can be translated into lavishly given. He has abounded to us. He's lavishly given us grace. We, how, how many times do we, we torment ourselves with, with the measurements of man? Oh, you know, I, I didn't sing enough. I, my, maybe I had a bad attitude or, you know, I haven't prayed enough. I haven't read enough. I've, I've, I've lusted or I've, and so on. And we, we, we then torment ourselves and, and we, we, we fall back into this works-based type of, of measurement. And even though Ephesians, later on, Paul says, we are saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the, the, the alternative to that is, is forget the boasting, but also the condemnation that comes with that. When your works have not been good enough, there is no more condemnation to them who are in Christ. And we need to hold on to that and to recognize that God lavishly has given us his grace, lavishly, full, and, and complete. I pray that we as his children, those who um, are the redeemed, that we would strive to, to know anew, to be ravaged, ravished by his grace, to, be, to have our hearts um, uh, uh, So overwhelmed by his grace, overwhelmed by the, the, the reality of redemption. So that we, like uh, this prisoner who was redeemed, that we could also uh, so desperately desire to, to give thanks. Because unlike Francisic, we can. See, our, our redeemer died, gave his life, just like Maximilian Kolb did. But the beauty is our Redeemer rose again. And we have that opportunity now to worship and to live in thanksgiving and to to adore him and to give our thanks. May that be the, the heart of each of us who are his children, but also now to those of you who still stand on the outside and still struggle with redemption and, and who you are and who God is and everything. I pray that you would uh, imagine... Um, what it would have been like or what it is like to to be dead, to be have that death sentence read aloud, to have your name called out, and then to see the Savior come and redeem you, come and take your place, because that is what he has done. And I pray that you would allow that truth to uh, and the truth of who God is and his heart towards you to change you in, in a profound way and to um, bring you to that point where you can trust in him and where you can trust in his love and in his grace and that you can give your life to him. Amen.